0: Hey everybody JD here. Listen, as most of you know, I have spent most of my professional life, my career working um, in the institution of the church for dioceses and doing work with parishes and religious orders and seminaries and and that kind of thing, working for the church's institution in various kind of uh, ministry positions. And I know that working in the life of the church can be uh, hard and uh, can bring with it its own unique challenges. And I also know that it can be very rewarding. I know how important it is to have an interior life, a life of prayer. I know that work um, within the hierarchical constitution of the church can only be done for people uh, who love the faith and who love Christ and um, who spend time in prayer. Um, I also know that it can be hard when uh, you're looking for a new opportunity. And from time to time, I hear from people who work in the life of the church and are looking for a new position or maybe even a new kind of uh, field of, of, of professional work, um, a new sort of work in the church, and just ask me if I know of anything that might be a good fit for them. At the same time, from time to time, I hear from priests and bishops who listen to the show, who reach out to me and say, hey, I have this position or that position, and do you know anybody? And uh, I'm grateful to both groups that they kind of think of me for that. And so I'd like to try to help. Um, Here's the deal. If you work in ministry in some way, and uh, you're even open to the idea of something new, or you think you'd be open to something different if it came along, do me a favor and just send me your resume, jdflynn at pillarcatholic.com. I won't even tell anybody that I have your resume on file. Um, And if you think you have uh, a position that might be a good fit for a listener to this podcast, someone who is uh, smart and discerning about what podcast they listen to and also loves the church, Um, if you're a priest or a a bishop or a lay ministry leader and you think you have a position, just send me a note, jdflinn at pillarcatholic.com. And if I can connect you guys, I will. I won't won't do that without asking, reaching out to uh, the person kind of seeking a job and saying, hey, there might be something and can I put you in touch with somebody? Um, But uh, I'd like to be able to help um, if I can because I hear from both groups. And if the pillar or I can help, connect people to new kind of ministry opportunities or to people who can help be co-laborers in the vineyard of the Lord, I'd like to do that. Um, Anyway, J D Flynn at pillarcatholic.com. Send me what you got, and if I can help, I'd love to. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I am joined by my Uh, podcasting partner and pillar co-founder and uh, pillar editor ed condon ed aloha how you doing jd i am doing well thank you um i i'm doing well and uh, i'm especially doing well ed because uh because this is um i i don't know if you know this um, um i don't know maybe you didn't remember this ed but today is our anniversary this is the one month, sort of. Uh, this is the day that marks one month since we began um, publishing The Pillar, since we sort of launched in an official way and in a public way The Pillar, which is our journalism project focused on long form uh, investigative and, uh, and explanatory uh, journalism covering the life of the Catholic Church. Yes, it is. Are you going to try and make me wear your letter jacket or something? <laughs> I actually got um you, you don't care but too bad I actually got um, in uh, high school I I lettered in debate like which I didn't know you could do until I did it but like I earned like a letter like you know in my school I don't know about yours but in my well you didn't go to America but yeah I was gonna say in my <laughs> yeah. school
1: we, we had school we had school in house colors which is kind of the the same thing
0: sure well in my school um, you could people who wore the like you know those jackets got a letter in soccer or football or field hockey or wrestling or whatever um but i what i learned and didn't know until i did it myself is that you could letter in non-athletic things like debate which is what i got a, a earned varsity letter in and was like there was like a push on me from the school administrators who i think were trying to sort of like broaden the school culture, something like that. Like, do you were you in this letter. Do you want to order a jacket? And I, I thought to myself, like, as soon as they started pushing this on me, I, I started to wonder if they understood how athletes would respond um, to uh, a chubby debate kid showing up in uh, a, a varsity jacket with a with a debate letter, like how that would go over you know, in the in the in the hallway near the lockers and in the parking lot. I, I I wondered honestly. I wondered and I still wonder if, in fact, the administrators of my school wanted to see me beat up. Which you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them. That that's possible. Um,
1: are are you not struck by the hilarity that they call it varsity? I mean, no, not, I'm not especially struck by
0: that. But you 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 are.
1: Well, because uh, I can't. I'm I'm constantly having to explain common American slang and its origins to you. Um, The word varsity, it comes from um, Oxford and Cambridge universities, where if you made the, the university team to play the other university and got a blue, you were said to, you know, you were said to be a varsity blue. That is, you played for the university, the varsity on their team. So the idea of calling high school sports varsity sports is insane because you're saying this is the university team.
0: Doesn't wow, that is really, that's super interesting. It's kind of like
1: everyone thinks that soccer is an American word for football, properly called. But in fact, soccer is a slang term from Eton, the poshest school in the world. Um, and it was the informal term for football because you played it in long socks. So Americans have sort of attempt think that they're using a sort of democratized term. But in fact, they're using the ultimate upper class Term and no one in the rest of the world would ever call football soccer because it would be seen as a a posh boy affectation. Oh, you don't say! Wow.
0: Now is Eton is Eton the school that you went to, Ed?
1: No, I went to a real school. Um, Eton, uh, Eton. The reason Eton has a word for football and call it soccer is because they are a bunch of sissies who played football, whereas real English public schools play rugby, which my
0: school did. Oh right, yeah. No, so I know that because. Char- so there's a television program on a on a streaming television service called Netflix. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, it's a, the program is called The Crown, and it's a it's a show, maybe a documentary. I don't know. It's a show about the British, uh, you know, the Queen of England and her family, and um, and Charles, the son of the Queen of England, who is interestingly not the Prince of England, but the Prince of uh, the Prince of um, Uh, I guess a county called Wales, (laughs) the Prince of a a Nation called Wales. I'm going uh, to stroke out. uh, (laughs) I am teasing you. But Charles went to, uh, his mom, I think, wanted, if I remember correctly, his mom wanted him to go to Eton, but his dad wanted him to go to like this tough Scottish boarding school where you learn how to fight and be tough and jump into a lake and other things. And Charles didn't like it because the other boys were pushing him around and stuff like that. And then he... Sent his sons to Eton, the fancy school, because he didn't like the Scottish school. Is that is that more or less a summary of the Queen of England's family? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, um, Eton also has the benefit of being basically across the road from Windsor Castle, which is what where the Queen of England lives. I thought yes, she lived
0: it's... in Buckingham
1: Palace. Um, no. So Buckingham Palace is the is the London residence of the crown, but the official um the official seat of the crown is. Uh, St. James Palace, which is why ambassadors to and from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland are accredited to and from the Court of St. James, and the Queen's real official residence is, in fact, Windsor
0: Castle. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, it's kind of like the papacy in this sense. The uh, Roman pontiff's official residence is the Vatican City State. It used to be the um, a- the Apostolic Palace at the Vatican City State, and now it's the Domus Sancta Marta a Hotel at the Vatican City State. But the official seat of the Bishop of Rome is where, do you know? Uh, St. John Lateran. Yeah, the Lateran Basilica. So um, although sort of the, the sort of locus of the universal church is uh, mostly, you know, the the Pope is the principle of unity of the universal church, and, uh, and he mostly hangs out at St. Peter's, named for his uh, predecessor in the job, um, the place from which he governs his own diocese, uh, the Diocese of Rome, is the Lateran Basilica. And it's ecclesiologically interesting that those two things are divided because those who would, I think, be sort of, Be more inclined to see the Bishop of Rome, uh, the Roman Pontiff, as first among equals instead of mostly distinct from his sort of Episcopal see as Bishop of Rome. I think would prefer probably to see him govern the Universal Church from the Lateran Basilica.
1: If I'm not mistaken, there's 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 a complex of former church buildings. Maybe the church still owns them, but there's there's a large complex of impressive-looking elderly buildings across the road from John Lateran, which I think like there was you know a, a. Considerable amount of the curia actually was there for a while, hmm. but you know those were back in the glory days when the Holy See had the whole of Rome. Yeah, yeah, So you know, yeah, there was no such thing as the Vatican City.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, this is, uh, Ed. You always do this. You you get us going on a diversion. Um, this is uh, a bit of a distraction from what I had started talking about, which is that this is our our uh, one month one um pillarversary as it was uh, as it were we launched uh, we launched the publication of the pillar our journalism project 1 month ago and um and i wanted to to of course thank you ed for the partnership that we have uh, begun in this project but also uh, to thank sincerely the listeners of this show who have listened to us in previous podcast iterations but have sort of come with us to the show into this new project and uh, and without whom obviously we would be just talking to ourselves i am deeply grateful it it
1: warms the corners of my cynical and bitter heart that we're one month in and um this this project seems to be working uh you know we've we've i think we've done a lot of work in the last month um yeah we we have we're working we've re- we've reported some news which is which is good that's that's obviously what we want to do uh and you know uh, people seem to be responding well and i'm i'm really uh grateful i hope that um we'll continue to deliver i hope that you know I hope that we will have a one-year anniversary to mark, and um, I, I hope we keep growing so that that is a possibility.
0: I, I hope so, too. Great. Well, in order to do that, Ed, we need to talk about um, the news and the life of the Catholic Church. And uh, we're going to start, if we can, by talking about a report today from, uh, the, from the Associated Press. the uh, The report is headlined, Sitting on Billions, Catholic Dioceses Amassed taxpayer aid sitting on billions catholic dioceses amassed taxpayer aid and the gist of the report is that the catholic church which it kind of says that the catholic church is a is is an entity which is super super rich it says and has a lot of money and is also at the same time the biggest beneficiary of the paycheck protection program the government program that came out last year that was designed to sort of float payroll to organizations that uh... That were in danger of not being able to make payroll because of the virus, or who are going to see their revenues decrease because of the virus. Or, really, I mean, there was extremely broad sort of eligibility for participation in the Paycheck Protection Program. But the gist of this AP story is hey, um, dioceses are starting to report, are starting to um, put out their audited financial statements, their audited uh, 2020 financial statements, which actually, interestingly, those would end at the end of the fiscal year, so June 30th, but dioceses are starting to put out their audited financial statements and a lot of these dioceses that took paycheck protection program money are not, have assets of various kinds, are not themselves bankrupt, those kinds of things. And if you put it all together, if you kind of aggregate all the available list of monies that might be Catholic, um, or nearly all the available lists of monies that might be Catholic, you come up with a lot of money and and then the, the sort of AP reporters are saying, so it was wrong uh, for the church to kind of take taxpayer money for the for, for its payroll while it had all this
1: money. That's right. I, mean, I would also note that it doesn't actually say the Catholic Church. It it very much leans heavily on the use of the term the Roman the Roman Catholic, Catholic church. church, which is which interestingly— is- good it's a good whiff of the old no nothing protestant you know evil popish
0: yeah it's a kind of term that has long been used as a sort of, it has long been used in the context of sort of soft anti-catholicism in america that you know you would be there would be concern about the sort of romish influence of, uh, uh, on Catholics in America that would prevent them from being good uh, americans and that the entire thing would be this sort of conspiracy run by you know wizened and corrupt old men in, in yeah like, i mean it's a, it's a term and, that's always had um yeah. Wide
1: currency in post-Reformation Britain. It was, you know, a, a sort of Victorian era, you know, to refer to the the Roman Catholic Church or just the Roman Church, you know, to to make it clear that anyone who's a member of the Roman Church is not really um, not really English British, or in this but case. their first. First, uh first... Uh, Your first loyalties are suspect if you're a Catholic right. because you're really Romish. Um, so I, I would note that AP, um, you know, some, some good old-fashioned uh, know-nothing tone there.
0: Which, interestingly, just the Roman Catholic thing, it's a, it's a common colloquialism, obviously, and it, it, it can be used with this sort of anti-Catholic sentiment. But it's it's not actually a term that is used by the church. The Catholic Church understands itself to be uh, a communion of churches, um, one of which, the largest of which, is the Latin Catholic Church, and then others are various Eastern Catholic Churches, which are all in union with each other through their union with the Roman pontiff, the Bishop of Rome, the boss of St. John Lateran, um, Pope Francis. So, no, but nowhere in the actual, like, um, Self understanding of the Catholic Church. Do we do we use the term Roman Catholic Church? No. Interestingly, w- what you are, if you're if you think of yourself as a Roman Catholic, you're actually a Latin Catholic, friends.
1: Yes. Uh, so note, noting that tone, yes, the the general theory posited by the AP report is that the Church in the United States, specifically the diocese, and by extension. Um, Catholic schools, Catholic parishes, Catholic charities are all fabulously rich and sitting on mountains of Scrooge McDuck-style cash and greedily trying to accumulate more and, you know, hoovering up money that was otherwise going to help uh, small businesses stay afloat during the virus. Now, this is, of course, a malicious fiction because, as far as I'm aware, the PPP funding never ran out, so it's not like... Um, the church got
0: some and other people didn't as a result. So that's sort of fiction number one. Right. The PPP, um, the amount of money that was made available in the Paycheck Protection Program was so much that there is still, I don't know actually if you can still apply for it, but the program is funded. In other words, there has been nobody who's eligible who, who've been told like, sorry, we're out of money, no money for you. Um, if you're eligible, you've received the money. And then the way it works is that if you use the money in accord with the kind of, Uh, policies of the program, then the loan can be forgiven. And if you don't, then you have to pay back the loan. But um, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't gotten the money, including other nonprofit organizations and including other sort of organizations that are definitively ideological, among them Planned Parenthood.
1: Yes, absolutely. Even though Planned Parenthood was, in fact, deliberately excluded from eligibility and nevertheless worked its way around it and triggered a couple of lawsuits. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. What, what's at the heart of all of this, first of all, is the lumping together of all of these structures in the church, in, in particularly the diocese. Well, first of all, it starts with this, this ridiculous idea of the National Catholic Church, right. uh, which there is no such thing. Uh, there is no national church in the United States. There is the Catholic Church. There is the Catholic Church, which exists in the United States in most especially the, at the level of individual diocese. Now we've discussed, I think we discussed last week and certainly in weeks prior, that there is such a thing as the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, but that this is not in any way a national organizing structure, still less a governing structure of the Catholic Church in the United States. There is no um, oversight or management, still less ownership of, all the assets of anything calling itself Catholic in the United States. Um, At the level of the diocese, you have, um, as most people know, diocesan chanceries, which have, you know, various departments and offices which help administer things like uh, parish life, Catholic schools in some places, Catholic charities, uh, you know, various other missions of, of the diocese in the territory. But you have you have very little understanding in this uh, in this article as to all the different ways in which Catholic institutions exist in a diocese and their relationship to the diocesan bishop and um, the diocese as a sort of umbrella for the Catholic stuff that goes on in the diocese. I mean parishes are not for example um, franchise offices of the diocese. It's not like there's McDonald's HQ and then there's your local McDonald's with a franchisee in there right. Uh, that's not the case. That the diocese is, first of all, um, it is a legal thing. It is its own legal entity. It is, you know, a juridic person Mm -hmm. uh, in canon law. But um, it is most especially defined as a portion of the people of God defined by territory, first and foremost. And parishes are similarly their own legal separate um, creature in law, again, defined by a portion of the people of God living in a certain territory. So what we're talking about when we talk about a diocese, we're talking about parishes is we're not talking about one sort of octopus-like. They always like to use octopus in good anti-Catholic cartoons for some reason. They, but, do, um, they
0: do, they do. The tentacles are going to get you.
1: Exactly. So the, the relationship is not a, the sort of you know the Catholic octopus, um, with its different tendrils stretching out throughout the diocese. No, there you know every parish exists in a in a relationship, a hierarchical relationship, and a relationship of communion with the diocese. But it's its own separate legal thing. It has its own property. The Code of Canon Law makes it very clear that um, the temporal goods of a juridic person a diocese, a parish, a school, a charity, a religious order, whatever it may be, are properly owned and administered by the juridic person itself that legally acquired them. So the property of a parish, whether it's the land the church sits on or the parish hall or the money in its bank account, or anything that might be left to it by you know in the wills of pious parishioners this sort of thing that money doesn't belong to the diocese it doesn't belong to the bishop it doesn't belong to some non-existent thing called the u.s catholic church and it It doesn't belong
0: to the to the pope either
1: no it doesn't belong to the pope either it belongs to the parish the pope is recognized in book five of the holy code of canon law as um the supreme hang on i want to make sure i get the word exactly right i was looking at this earlier Always have the code open in front of you, kids. Always have the code open in front of you. Um, But if you turn in your code, you will see that it says in Canon 1256, under the supreme authority of the Roman pontiff, ownership of goods belongs to that juridic person which has legitimately acquired them. Now, the Pope has uh, a universal stewardship and governing role over the whole church, and the bishop has, in ways defined by law, equally a governing role over what goes on in his diocese but that doesn't give the bishop immediate ownership of still less immediate determination over the fate of every asset belonging to
0: everything that is properly called catholic in the diocese jd you are gesticulating well i'm glad you say that no i'm just i wanted to sometimes when you talk sometimes when you're talking i just raise my finger so that you know that i'm i want to say something about the thing that you're saying oh okay jd (laughs) <laughs> Your no, i'm glad I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you say that the way that you do that the that the bishop has a governing role because I think that is really helpful in understanding. so I think the Associated Press's story sort of fundamentally misunderstands certain things about kind of not just sort of how, how the Catholic Church is organized, but how, what it understands itself to be and yes. um and 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 I think honestly that. While I wish, while I think good journalism requires trying to understand, good journalism, you know, one mark of a good journalist is like being able to um, accurately describe the viewpoint or self-understanding of a person with whom you do not agree. And uh, and that, you know, and that means kind of being willing to like hear it out and understand how it how it thinks of itself on its own terms, um, even if you provide alternative ways to think of it at the same time. With that said, um, I don't think it's only the Associated Press who has... Uh, basically, sort of a misunderstanding of what the church kind of understands itself to be, and so I, I wanted to talk about that for a minute. And I'm glad you mentioned governance because um, the the model of the church actually that you had m- like to talk about the mo- most often it's it's not the model of the church that I like to talk about most often, but it's the most helpful right now um, is is the model of a society, and not just a society, but a perfect society. And a, a perfect society when we talk about the church obviously doesn't mean that all of us are perfect because. <laughs> um, uh, but what it does mean is uh, is that it's a society sort of complete unto itself that it is uh, that it like uh, fully possesses those things necessary for hu- human flourishing I- in itself. And uh, and go ahead, you're gesticulating. Well, I, I
1: was raising. I, I I'm getting more subtle with my gesticulations after you called me out on this. I I merely raised an eyebrow. But no, I think you're exactly right that there is this misunderstanding of what governance is in the church and in the society of the church. Now, if the AP were to put out a story that said. Um, you know, the United, you know, America is sitting on however many billions of dollars worth of assets, and arrived at that figure by adding up everything that's owned by an American or an American company, and say, well, this all belongs and is at the disposal of the American government because right. they have a governance function. I
0: mean, the church is not a communist state. Yeah, well, I think that's right, and and I just, I mean, I think, look, we have the benefit of the form of formation with this that most Catholics don't have, and most Catholics don't get the chance to to learn this. But I think most of us tend to think about the church as The institutions, the buildings, the programs, most of us tend to think about the church as the cathedral, the, when we think of the parish, we think of like the parish building where Mass is and where the parish center is and where the gym is. But what we don't always think about the church as is sort of the milieu itself in which those things exist. In other words, sort of the, the, um, the word that I'm looking for really is society, but, but I don't want to define it definition with itself. Accept it. No, I mean, what we, what we don't tend to think of the church as the, human and divine community that is constituted by the baptized in relationship with each other in various ways and the institutions existent within that community but that is sort of the church's own understanding of herself that the church thinks of herself as the communion of the baptized in union with the, you know in union with the pope who is the principle of unity and that there are various people who are called and graced to certain roles of of leadership within that context now there's sort of what I'll call charismatic leadership and by that I mean people who are who just By virtue of their baptism and human disposition, are good leaders and rise up to sort of be leaders um, among Catholics. But then there's also sort of institutional leadership and people who are who have sort of both the sacramental charisms for hierarchical institutional leadership and also the jobs which allow them to do it: the pastor, the bishop, um, the pope, who is a bishop. Um, But but those institutional that sort of institutional hierarchy of the church um, is really you can think of it as sort of a set of concentric societies. You can think of the, the parish as a subset of the society of the diocese and the diocese as a subset of the society of the church universal. And the Pope and the bishop and the pastor, instead of being like CEOs of a company called the parish or CEO of a company called the bishop, which is like, you know, the headquarters building downtown and then the branch office buildings, think of him as um, the chief uh, teacher, um, the sort of chief priest, and also the chief sort of governor of this human community um, in which all of us play a part and think of the pastor as sort of the leader, uh, the sort of tribal leader of our band of Catholics who constitute this parish rather than the CEO of this sort of place called Parish Inc., which is the building and the programs that are offered at the building. Sure. The parish is the people of God who live in the territory of the parish or otherwise a part of the parish. The diocese is the communion of the baptized who live in the territory of the diocese. The church universal is the communion of the baptized what ap is doing is like sort of thinking of there is this thing called the catholic church and it's really just sort of one stru- it's like a it's a bunch of sort of subsidiary companies all connected to each other and uh, and the catholic church is these buildings and things and then it kind of complains how those buildings and things relate to each other but the reason it does that is because it has this fundamental ecclesiological error that a lot of us could fall into absent formation which is to think of the church as the buildings, the parish as the thing down the street, the diocese as the chancery downtown and the cathedral, instead of to think of it as communions of persons, a society of persons in relationship with each other. That, that is certainly true. Although I would add the exoskeleton around that theological
1: understanding is is a legal one. And it's so you know when we're saying that the parish is not the same thing as the diocese and one is not a sort of wholly owned subsidiary of the other, um, this isn't a dry theological point, that this is guarded in the church's own law. So, I mean, we, we've seen this in many... Diocese. I mean, the one that leaps to mind, and I'm not singling them out because they're they're naughty or anything. It's just because I I was aware of several cases where this happened, um, where the diocese is trying to restructure its parish. Footprint, and you know, in the process of doing that to account, to accommodate, you know, declining numbers of Catholics attending mass and all this sort of stuff, looks at closing and merging parishes and everything.
0: Well, before, yeah, before I think merging parishes is really important distinction to make. That yeah, it's two very parish, different things. Closing a parish doesn't mean just kind of closing a church. That the parishes a distinct community of people, and the idea is to no longer merge it with another that group of yeah, people. merge it with another distinct group of people, or split it up into a bunch of parts or whatever. But again, that sort of framework that the parish is, and it sounds super like. It sounds like some lame, like, 70s thing when I say the parish is the people. But in fact, the parish is the portion of the people of God. That's how the church understands it.
1: And the real estate, the building,
0: the assets of the parish belong to the parish. or assets is,
1: of that group of people. Exactly. Right? They belong to that group of people. And so we've seen situations, again, in, in, in cities like Boston. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure there are others that are undertaking similar massive parish closure and reorganization programs like Pittsburgh or Chicago, uh, where, you know, parishioners say, well, hang on. You can't just close our church, sell the building and the land, and tell us to take a hike down the road and go to this other parish, we've got some rights. And they do. And very often these cases are appealed to Rome, and Rome will come back and say to the bishop, no, you can't just do this. You can't just come in and say, I'm going to close this church, sell the property, pocket the change to prop up the diocesan finances, and merge, quote unquote, you with um, another parish. Another community, right? Yeah, you
0: can't do that. I live in the city of Littleton, Colorado, and be like sort of the governor just showing up one day and saying... Um, I have I have merged Littleton into um, um, Englewood and uh, and you can't go into City Hall or the library anymore it's like whoa, the library exists for our beneficial use man and my grandparents well I just moved here but other people's grandparents built that library you know there's a it's, it's it exists as as a part of a living reality right and and so as I was saying there are Plenty of cases where Rome will get involved on
1: appeal and say, "No, you can't do this because a parish is a particular thing. It has legal personality. It's its own property. Its own stable patrimony uh, is its own, and it has rights to it." So when you know when we're saying the AP is wrong for sort of conflating all the assets of Catholic parishes with the assets of the diocese and saying this is all one big thing. Um, you know, this isn't a dry theological distinction, this is a legal distinction that the church recognizes in its own internal law and and, and has made tough decisions in accord with that law. Now, the other thing it um it does is the AP, for example, highlighted the the situation of the Archdiocese of Chicago and said, Well, it's sitting on, I think, hang on, I wanna I wanna make absolutely sure that I have the right figure here, because you know, accuracy is important. Um the Archdiocese of Chicago had, and I'm quoting from the AP here, more than $1 billion in cash and investments in its headquarters and cemetery division as of May. Um, so here's the thing about that. Those are two very, very different things they've named there. Its headquarters, by which I assume it means its chancery organization, chancery, yeah. is, is its administrative HQ, if you like, for, you know, administering diocesan ministries of different kinds. Its cemetery stuff is totally different. And... To be clear, like cemeteries are a big deal in, in term. if you're working in a diocese. Like the, the proper care and maintenance of cemetery, cemeteries is because we believe in the resurrection of the body, kind of an important and a perpetual thing that you have to care for. Um, and you, you have separate cemetery funds. So when people buy a burial plot or make a donation or whatever for the ma- maintenance of the cemetery, that's ring-fenced funding. And the law yeah. requires the bishop, who is the custodian of this stuff, note custodian, not owner, to... Um, who is the custodian of this stuff, to take specific prudential care to make sure that this uh, these funds, these assets, you know, if if the if, you know if the if the money used to maintain the cemeteries is you know linked to is invested and then the cemeteries are cared for out of the you know the return on that investment, that has to all be kept separate. Separately, it has to be invest- invested in an incredibly cautious and conservative way. Yeah, if way. the
0: cemeteries' investments go belly up, the bishop who is investing it has to come up with the cash from some other way. And and in order to even invest the cemeteries' money, which it probably exists in something called a canonical creation called a, a an. Pious foundation, he needs to get a, a number of p- permissions in order to do that.
1: Yeah, so the idea that the bishop could issue bonds um, on the strength of cemetery assets uh, to, you know, pay Catholic teachers in schools is—I mean, it—it—it's it, it, it's so legally incoherent. It—it it almost beggars belief. Um, but I, I mean, but this is another thing is, you know, and I've, I've heard this from a few people and I know you have too, is the idea that, well, you know, if the church has got all this money, what's it doing taking this? Because, you know, yeah,
0: if the dioceses have money, why should they take money that, you know, why should they take paycheck protection program money? Um, why shouldn't they just float parishes and things like that? I don't know any diocese in the United States apart from one. And even that I'm
1: acting on, you know, what I understood of the diocese financial situation from a couple of years ago. Um, but apart from one diocese I can think of, I think. There are no dioceses in the United States that have, like, a surplus of loose cash and can just prop up right. all the employees of the parish. And let's be clear. When we're talking about the employees of the parish, we're not just talking about the priests, although I hope people would want to see their priests continue to be fed and housed throughout. I, the, I don't know if priests banter. could get
0: PPP money because they have a weird sort of tax yeah, status. But I know, but I'm a, saying when people are
1: thinking about who are Diocesan employees and stuff. It's it, It's also not like you know. It's not just lawyers in the chancery. But you know, when we're talking about small businesses applying for PPP funding that are Catholic, we're talking about you know the the working mom who is the parish secretary. We're talking about the director of religious education. We're talking about people who have families that they're supporting on these salaries. We're talking about
0: real people. And, who, and the goal of the PPP was just to keep people from being unemployed and. What parishes didn't know and what dioceses didn't know, and we still don't really know because these audited financial statements that AP was going on, I I did not cover the whole of the situation. But um, what what dioceses and parishes didn't know, even if they turned out to be financially okay, which I still think is a matter that's a bit up in the air, uh, is whether they would. They didn't know how well they would do with online giving. And the Paycheck Protection Program, interestingly, was designed—I mean, when when this was coming out, congressmen were lining up—everyone in Washington was lining up to say— we're giving you this money so that you can keep people impl- employed and come out of the pandemic stronger than you went into it. I mean, this is the kind of rhetoric, right? And so now sort of the AP's take on the church is, well, they took this money and some of them seem to be in a stronger financial condition than they were a year ago. So what the heck? And it's like, wait a minute, wasn't that exact, like exactly what the money was for to keep people on the payroll so that organizations that employ people could stay solvent when the country is racked by this un, you know nearly unprecedented event or unprecedented in our lifetimes or whatever sure but i mean the reverse is also true there are parishes that didn't take ppp money
1: and parishes that did and still had to lay people off yeah like, there are, there are lots of people
0: who have been laid off and or siloed what do you call furloughed or whatever i mean yeah. lots and lots of people who work for the church
1: are um, struggling hard financially. And the, well, I mean, but let's be honest, what the the underlying philosophy of the AP's piece, philosophy may be dignifying this a little bit too much, political slant of the AP's piece is if there is this federation of institutions and small businesses, legally speaking, in the United States, the thing that they all have in common with is they're all Catholic. Well, you know, that's bad. You know, we shouldn't have people who publicly self-identify as Catholic institutions, their their jobs are less worthy of protection because there are other companies that identify as Catholic um, and they they have money, so you know. Really, Catholics should you know basically take care of themselves. It, basically, what the AP is arguing for is a sort of hyped up Benedict option for the church, where it's basically <laughs> like get to the back of the line. You guys got to look after your own. You don't get anything from the common pot because what Catholics aren't part of
0: wider society. Catholic schools, Catholic parishes, or because churches are people... nonprofits. But nonprofits were. I mean, the fact of the matter is nonprofits were eligible for the PPP. Yeah. Period. I mean, you know, because the idea was to keep. The idea was not. Look, plenty of for-profit corporations, plenty of large and giant corporations are going to get their bailouts from the way in which they suffered. Entire industries are going to get their bailouts from the way they in which they suffered um, in the uh, during the pandemic. Uh, plenty of well-connected, you know, organizations with well-connected lobbyists are going to frame themselves as being absolutely essential to American public life and they're going to do A-OK. And their CEOs are going to get you know, seven or eight figure bonuses in the process. The PPP was not about them. The PPP was about, from the very beginning, not about the institutions, but about the employees. Keep these people employed, and we believe that keeping these people employed will have a beneficial, you know, effect on your organization, et cetera. But the idea was, you know, keep ordinary people earning ordinary amounts of money employed. Right. What they're basically saying is, well, your director of religious education,
1: should be ineligible for PPP because he's catholic and i don't know the the diocesan chancery office can still afford to pay its staff and so there should somehow they should just be able to you know legal distinctions between those two companies uh, be damned you should just be able to make them look after each other but you know on the other hand the woman who teaches hot yoga on your street in her studio teacher or whatever yeah yeah they they should get PPP funding. But I mean, the, if you apply the AP standard here at university, would say, well, the Bikram Yoga Company that trains all these people is swimming in cash. So every yoga studio in the United States should have to go to them for a hand up before they can get in line for PPP. I mean, it's just...
0: It, <laughs> yeah. No, but
1: that's that's exactly their point. Is what I, I you share is yeah, a yeah, common yeah. F- yeah. F- if, spiritual... If you
0: are... To go back to... Yeah, to, to I don't know enough about yoga, but if you're a karate teacher and you teach Cobra Kai, let's say... And Cobra Kai your, absolutely should get PPP. And you got your certification to teach Cobra Kai at the Cobra Kai International Center for Cobra Kai. Tell me there's a real such own, thing as an International then, Center for Cobra oh, Kai. Oh, let's hope that there is. But then let's so let's say you're trained. You paid someone to train you in the art of Cobra Kai and you're a Cobra Kai karate teacher and you enter Cobra Kai karate tournaments and all the rest. And you have your own Cobra Kai karate dojo, as I believe the word. Um yeah, it would be analogous to saying, well, Cobra Kai is a gigantic organization. I mean, freaking, they kicked Daniel Sun in the face or something like that. I don't remember. And so clearly they have enough money to pay all these people. And you'd be like, well, wait a minute. This guy owns his own karate thing. He just is a part of this. You know, his karate thing is connected, fundamentally connected by sort of philosophy and practice to these other karate things. Um what's different. And in truth, the church is the same way. And I know this, it's possible, I think that this might sound like a dodge. And the reason why the AP doesn't believe it is because they think, no, no, this is just sort of legal, whatever. Everybody knows that the Catholic church is one giant thing controlled by the Pope or everything in the diocese is controlled by the bishop. And attention, Right, exactly. But if you pay attention to the life of the church, you know that that's not true, that, that within our society are a crap ton of disputes about money and administration and you know exactly these kinds of processes and and you know that pastors are not always happy with the tax imposed by their bishop or not imposed with certain administrative regulations imposed by their bishop because they want the best interests of their parish that they're like it's a society of not you know of competing interests and competing perspectives and all of those things not a monolith in which the bishop says do and everyone does and so much is this true, not only in practice, but in our theology. So much does our theology say the diocese is a different thing. Um, the diocese is a different thing than the universal church and the parish is a different thing than the diocese, that in 1911, so more than 100 years ago, the Holy See wrote a letter to the bishops of the United States that said, hey, you guys are running into some problems with the way that your parishes are incorporated. And they were running into a problem called lay trusteism, which we can talk about another time. But they said, you're running into some problems with the way that your parishes are governed. And you guys need to make sure that your parishes are set up in... Um, legal structures that reflect our Catholic theology, um, that uh, the parish has a legal structure and the diocese has a legal structure and, you know, perhaps there's a relationship between them and in some places that became a contractual relationship between them. But you need to set up some structures that reflect our Catholic theology. And if you if they, that doesn't exist, a structure that reflects our Catholic theology, you should start advocating and lobbying lawmakers to create the kinds of legal corporations that the diocese and the parishes and schools and other institutions can um, enter into or be organized as that reflect our Catholic theology. Now, the, the Holy See probably didn't understand like what it is to be a sec, to to be Catholic in a secular state, so they didn't understand that if the bishop went down and said, "I want you to create so, the structure of a juridic person in law," and then in trying the Code of Canon Law into into Illinois state statutes in order to kind of govern my relationship with the parishes, that he was going to get laughed out of Tammany Hall or whatever. Um, but Tammany Hall wasn't uh, yes. in Illinois. But I know it wasn't. I know, but. Uh, he was going to get laughed out of the alderman's poker game or whatever it was, but um, the Holy See's point was, our civil organization needs to be driven by our canon law, and our canon law is driven by our theology. And in fact, they said, you know, there's this one structure called a corporation soul, where basically everything that the diocese that is, that exists that is the dioceses, um, every asset sort of in, for, that exists for beneficial use of the diocese, and every asset and piece of real property that exists for beneficial use of the parish is held sort of in trust for those uses by the bishop as one giant corporation. And the Holy See said, don't do that unless you have no other options. Do that as a measure of last resort because it does not reflect our theology. And And it has led to tons of problems. It exists. There are dioceses that have done it and it has led to tons of problems, including, you know, um, uh, St. Mary's gets sued because there was ice on the walk. I mean, it doesn't even have to be about, you know, nefarious stuff. St. Mary's gets sued because it was negligent about clearing the ice on its walk. And St. Mary's doesn't have any assets. But St. Philomena's has tons of assets. And the plaintiff's lawyer said, says, well, you're all one thing. I can tell because you're civilly organized is all one thing. So when I... Th- assess what I'm going to ask for in damages. I'm looking at this gigantic pot of assets.
1: Right. And this is the reason why in many U.S. dioceses, those that are organized as corporation souls, despite the Holy See having said for more than a century that you may not do this, um, the reason that when a new bishop arrives, the first thing they do is take his car keys away is not because the bishop is very grand and deserves a chauffeur, but because if the bishop gets in a car accident and God forbid causes it, everything in the diocese is on the hook. Yeah, there's no legal distinction between something the bishop does himself and the and what you can go after them. There's no distinction between well, I, he was just you know Joe Bloggs and
0: not you know doing it as the bishop of whatever. He, he's a corporation soul. It's everything. That isn't. I will tell you the truth. That thing about the keys and the bishop can't drive because the whole diocese could go bankrupt. That is an oft-repeated urban legend for places where the diocese is a corporation soul. I've never really thought that. I've always been skeptical that high-paid lawyers aren't capable of figuring out how to distinguish between the bishop's personal liability and the liability of the corporation's soul. But that's just my own skepticism about that particular urban legend.
1: Well, that may be true, but I'm willing to bet that um, you probably want to err on the side of caution there yeah
0: i think you probably want to err on the side there's
1: of other things future. the bishop could do that could put the whole diocese on the hook yeah
0: that's exactly and well what we saw in 2002 is that dioceses that were being sued because of uh, 2002 and the, thereafter is that dioceses that were being sued because of sexual abuse issues that existed as a corporation sole and then going bankruptcy bankruptcy judges were saying well when when you say that the liability exists for the diocese but not for the parishes, I look at these parishes and I see them as being part of the same civil corporation. So what the hell are you talking about?
1: And if you turn around and say, well, the church doesn't understand itself that way, it says, well,
0: why didn't you organize yourself? Judges were that saying, way? well, why didn't you follow? If if you have these religious principles, why didn't you follow those religious principles? Not just religious principles.
1: Organized. If you have law
0: governing yeah, your internal but, religious governance yeah, that but, you
1: have ignored.
0: But I'm yes yes. But judges actually, uh, yes, judges were looking at the Code of Canon Law. I say religious principles, Ed, because I'm not a member of the Bologna School, and I think that Canon Law is applied theology, and that is an important way in which to understand it. I'm sorry. um, I'm going to try really (laughs) hard not
1: to. Did you
0: just... (laughs) I insulted Ed, but only Canon lawyers will understand how wow <laughs> i'm teasing you i'm teasing you but you, the, all of our canonical principles are legal principles but are also religious principles for a couple of reasons one of which is that the law is a part of our religion and the other is because our laws apply theology do you not think so let's we don't need to we no, enough. no i really want to hear i really want to hear
1: Law is its own sacred science. JD, law is not a derivative science. Canon law in the church is—you are trying to say, saying that um, canon law is applied theology is like saying the skeleton is uh, is a it is applied um, biology. It's like yeah, but you can't distinct. It's you know, you can't. I think disti- the skeleton is
0: applied. Meta- I, I think the skeleton is applied metaphysics.
1: Look. Canon law is an articulation of the Catholic faith in the same way that mm-hmm. theology is. It's a practical articulation mm-hmm. of the Catholic faith, but it's wrong to suggest that the Catholic oh. faith is this thing called
0: theology and everything else. Okay, if you is, want to say can- if you want to quibble about that, if you want me to say canon law is applied revelation or applied magisterium uh, or applied to positive faith, I'm comfortable with that. What yes, that is true. But
1: for example, natural law, which is a real thing, also in the news in some good old know-nothing anti-Catholicism this week. Um, but if you want to say that, you can't say that natural law is is just a theological concept that, you know, lawyers try and apply. It's no. its its own thing. It's a legal philosophy. It's part of a philosophy. It's part of the magisterium. It's part of— um, Well, natural int- law is not part of the magisterium. No, I don't mean part of, sorry I didn't mean part of the magisterium. But I mean, it is—it's an articulation. It is a legal philosophy That can be articulated in law but it doesn't mean that anything to do with law is just an applied someone else's science that's not true okay law is its own thing
0: i understand the point that you're making and there is a juridic science and it's a sweet science you know it is the sweet science but um but my point is that um law is a sort of normative and practical practical application of the church's doctrinal self-understanding and doctrinal principles which is why—anyway, this is a—we have like three minutes left, and this is a whole to-do. Okay. Um, one thing, one little bit of trivia, though, that I think is interesting with regard to sort of the existence of the parishes. I was thinking about this before. Um, if a diocese were suppressed—so I live in the Archdiocese of Denver, and our neighbor to the um, south is the Diocese of Colorado Springs. If the uh, And it's the, doing fine, so this is not happening. But if the Diocese of Colorado Springs were suppressed— and, uh, and the, 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 uh, the Holy Father said, we're not going to have a Diocese of Colorado Springs anymore. We're going to split the territory of the Diocese of Colorado Springs between the Archdiocese of Denver and the Diocese of Pueblo, which is to the south of both of us, and also to the west. Pueblo is a big place. Um because the parishes are sort of not contingent apparati of the diocese, the parishes would not cease to exist because of the suppression of the diocese. Rather, it would be sort of the division of the parishes of the parishes themselves among the other dioceses that would determine the sort of um, meeting out of what it meant to suppress the diocese itself. Do you think that's so? Yes, that is true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's just a little thing that I want to say. It's also frustrating, J.D. Well... I guess, yeah. Well, Ed, today is... Uh, you may not know this, but uh, today is something called the International Day of Human Fraternity. And I know that because I saw it on Facebook, but I don't know what it is. Um, so, as I a don't co- really know
1: what Facebook is
0: <laughs> As a consequence of that, uh, I, would you like to play a little game called um, How Well Do You Know Things About Fraternities? <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. Oh, shoot, we can't. That was a tease. I was hoping that you were going to say no and then go on another rant because I... Only found out it was a day of fraternity about three minutes before we started the show, and I don't have any knowledge of fraternities. I, I was thinking about maybe quizzing you on Revenge of the Nerds. Um, <laughs> my wife told me last night that—my my wife told me last night, or maybe it was this morning, that she— as a kid, uh, wasn't allowed to watch the movie, Revenge of the Nerds, which was, as you know, a very famous 80s movie that played on syndication on television a lot when we were kids. And it occurred to me that I probably shouldn't have been allowed to watch Revenge of the Nerds either. It was not appropriate.
1: I have never seen it, but I'm I'm culturally aware that it is... Uh, entirely inappropriate. I, I was going to say, it, it, it seems, at least as I understand it, exists in the zeitgeist as... Um, taking a very casual attitude to some very serious and appropriate behavior.
0: Yes, I think that is absolutely, absolutely uh, right. Which, um, again, as a, as a nerdy kid who, uh, who got a varsity letter in debate, gave me remarkably false expectations for what college was going to be about. Because Revenge of the Nerds is about some like uh, nerds who go to college and then turn out to be sort of bon vivants of the whole thing. And I thought that might be true. It turns out not to be.
1: Steubenville wasn't quite a <laughs> Wilder Party liaison.
0: Steubenville wasn't quite Adams University, which was the name of the college in *Revenge of the Arts. No. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, I can I can believe that. You've told me some stories of of Franciscan University, which I want to be absolutely clear. I love Franciscan University. Uh, it has a very special place in my heart. Big fan. Um, but you you have you have made it sound like a very um, very. Very nice,
0: very closely knit, very Catholic, but um, very quirky. Oh yeah, uh, Stoumenville is. I, I would never. I would not have wanted to go anywhere else. I would. I. I hope that my kids will, will want to go to Stoumenville, but it's a weird place to be sure. I mean, you know, it's a. It's a very. It's it's we it's a weird place in the way that I look affectionately back and think I'm really glad that I was formed in that weird place, and I hope my kids will get that too. But no one can deny that it's a. You know, there there was this one guy. <laughs> There was this one guy who who had this gift, I guess you could say. He was extremely popular for his ability to do this, and this just sort of tells you about the kind of weird place it was. Was this gift, I suppose you would say, for being able to take? This was I went to college in the early two thousands, and this was sort of the era of kind of uh, boy singing groups, you know, in sync, boys in uh, sync, um, Backstreet boy Boys, ninety eight degrees. Yeah, I, I was going to say boy bands, but then I realized they don't play any instruments, so can I really call them bands? Um, yeah, that's fair. So. Boy singing groups and this fella had an ability to take ninety-eight degrees backstreet boys and sing songs and then like almost on the fly rewrite the lyrics to reflect some aspect of Christian doctrine or divine intimacy or something like that. And (laughs) and he would honestly such a different university experience. It's insane. (laughs) He would do this, you know, just on the spot. He would hear he if you heard if you played him a boy singing group song one time, he would be composing in his head, you know, taking the meter and rhythm and even sometimes a pattern of rhyme and then just rewriting it to be a song about, so, you know, like, you know, you're all I ever wanted. Lord, you're, you know, you're all. In, so, you know, I, like, I don't know the song that you're singing. Backstreet's back. But... All right. But it's fine. That's okay. It's fine. So anyway, that was,
1: <laughs> I did not go to stupid. <laughs> no. Um, no, we, uh, well, I, this is the thing in, in where I went to university, JD, um, if you're over 18, you're considered an adult. And so, you know, the, the student pub opened at 11 o'clock in the morning and uh, served bacon sandwiches all day. And, and that, was the, that was the hub of student life. Um, and yeah,
0: I, we, we, we weren't composing. Um, well, alternative- I wasn't either. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I wasn't composing them either. I don't want to give the wrong impression of how cool I was. Just well, saying that was the kind I, of I've thing heard your that,
1: canon law limericks so I'm I, I'm willing to believe that you could probably oh have I done think this I could
0: I, th- I think I could yeah you are right. I think you probably could and plus you know I did letter uh, in debate in high school I, a lot of people don't know that but you know varsity yeah again that word doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> okay uh one other thing that happened in the news this week that we could probably talk about for a minute is um uh, you know uh, on uh Saturday the uh the Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal Blaise Cupich, uh, had a meeting with Pope Francis and this meeting came shortly after. There had been this um, kind of dust up between um, uh, the president of the U.S. Bishops Conference, Archbishop Jose, Jose Gomez and Cardinal Cupich, uh, in which Archbishop Gomez released a statement on Inauguration Day that pledged the bishops to work with the incoming Biden administration, but also criticized the Biden administration on abortion. And Cardinal Supich did something which is not usually done among bishops which is that he very publicly criticized that statement he put out a tweet thread saying that it was ill considered and that it was not it didn't follow the administrative rules of the US Bishops Conference and that there was there were institutional failures in the Bishops Conference that he pledged himself to help to resolve and you know sort of shortly after that dust up which for church watchers is a big deal because bishops don't usually do have that kind of public fight Cardinal Supich met with um met with the Pope. Now, he he met with the Pope while he was in Rome for a meeting of the Congregation for Bishops, which is a congregation of which he's he's sort of on the committee for the Congregation for Bishops. So he has periodic meetings in Rome related to the, Vatican, the work of the Vatican's Congregation for Bishops, and that's what he was in Rome for. But after that meeting, there has been much, 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 much sort of speculation about why they were meeting. And it's super interesting. To, it has been for me super interesting to watch because I watch people who uh, who who disagreed with Archbishop Gomez's statement saying, you know, that the Cardinal was definitely there for the Pope to tell him that he was right and spot on and he should keep pushing and the Pope was giving him big affirmation and met with him to show the world that he agrees with him. And then I've heard from people who, who don't agree, you know, saying, oh, the who don't agree with what the Cardinal do, did, saying, oh, the Cardinal kind of, um, wormed his way into this meeting so that he could make it appear that the Pope supports him or um, the Pope was upset with the Cardinal and wanted to tell him, you know, that that's not how we solve things in the church. And all of that, all of that is um, sort of wanton speculation. And that speculation has turned into a rumor that is sort of floating around a lot of people in the church. We're hearing from a lot of sources that, um, that the Archbishop of Chicago is possibly going to be appointed to um, a job in the Vatican to lead one of the dicasteries of the Vatican. And, uh, and, and, for us, Ed, our, our approach to that has been if we could confirm up, down, backwards, and forwards that a bishop, especially an American bishop, was going to be appointed to an important Vatican position, we would report it if we had it with absolute certitude. But if we didn't, we wouldn't sort of report that people are sort of saying these kinds of things because there's this kind of speculation about American bishops from uh, time to time. But the speculation has sort of been uh, been out there, to be sure. Yes, it's been—this um, isn't
1: the first time I've, I've heard— um spontaneous speculation that Cardinal Cupich was going to to get a job in Rome. At one point, he was being heavily touted as the future
0: head of the Secretariat for the economy,
1: Mm -hmm. I think.
0: Um, Which actually, and I remember, I was thinking, I remember a period of, maybe it was about a year and a half ago, where everywhere I went, people told me that Cardinal Dolan was going to leave the Archdiocese of New York and be appointed... The head, I suppose, of the Sacred Military Order of Malta, sovereign. Uh, the Sovereign's... military. Is no, it actually, it wasn't. No, it's not that. no, it wasn't actually. He no, was it's not. The, to... It was the Equestrian Order. The Equestrian of the Holy Order Sepulchre. of the Holy Sepulchre. So I don't know what the name of the cardinal who's affiliated with the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre is, which is Grand this thing. Master. Grand. I don't know. But don't know. anyway, there was all this talk that Cardinal Dolan was go- uh, imminently going to be appointed to lead the horse thing, and uh, and everywhere you went, that was uh, that was out there, and then. You know, it just sort of went away, and so these. Well, it didn't kind of actually go just,
1: away. What happened was that the Pope moved Cardinal Filoni aside from the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples and. Oh, Filoni
0: Cardinal's. became the head of the horsey thing. That's right. Yes, that's right, and
1: he was moved sideways there. One because he's known to have a deep history and personal interest in the Holy Land, which is what the Equestrian Order of the Holy Epica primarily is concerned with. Right, they support um, Christians
0: in the Holy Land and they help to protect the sacred sites in the Holy Land, which is extremely important.
1: There's another school of thought that says that actually it was Cardinal Periline who arranged this sideways move because Cardinal Filoni was insufficiently supportive
0: of the China deal. But that's another story. So for our purposes, all that is so, for our purposes, that's right, I forgot forgotten there was an appointment. So there was an appointment to the, the Equestrian Order of Jerusalem and then that was sort of the end of you know, this Cardinal Dolan wants out of New York. But, but that, that kind of just like reaching on almost fever pitch of rumoring is, uh, happens, which is not to say that it's impossible to think that Cardinal Supic or another American Cardinal or Bishop might be appointed to a Vatican position. I think it's entirely possible because we know that there are about to be vacancies in a couple of important Vatican offices. And we know that, um, you know, there is that there's generally perceived to to be a benefit to having at least one Anglophone kind of leading these things. Although I suppose there is right now at least one Anglophone, but still there's generally perceived to be the importance of having a good sort of geographic balance and these kinds of things. So it wouldn't, it it, it seems to me that conditions are ripe by which an American could be appointed to lead one of these vacant things. But until we had it, I wouldn't say that we have it. No, I, I, um, I speak regularly, daily,
1: more often than not with with friends who, who work in different dicasteries of the Roman Curia, uh, and uh, I, I feel, f- I mean, we've we've reported on um, imminent Rome Roman announcements before, and we will again, I'm sure. But yeah, I, if something happens and we know it's happened, then we'll report it. If something hasn't happened and we don't know it's happened because it hasn't happened yet, then we're not going to report it because we'll keep listening. Well, I mean, no, I mean to put it this way, we we started this episode off by talking about. Um, this being our, our one month anniversary, uh, and you know, I I I think I hope that we've um in in those few short weeks established some credibility for reporting things that are that are true in a timely fashion, uh and and I wouldn't want um I guess what I'm saying is this I want people to read the pillar when they and know that they're only going to read things that we can prove mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're for.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And listen, we're going to wrap up this show, but listeners, if uh, thanks again, again, for this great month, and we hope it's the beginning of a, a, a long um, journalistic project for us and continued work on this show, the Man, podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, we have,
1: we, I, I, I do really love the, the loose confederation of eccentrics that listen to this podcast, um, and I would consider myself very much one of their number in that sense. Uh, we've got some wonderful people who you know have you know gathered around. They write it. You guys write us emails. The and, show is
0: a bit of a community in a, in a certain yeah, way because people I really reach like out that about it. And yeah. you know,
1: I, there are there are people who I only know by their Twitter name and stuff, but you know, nevertheless, I I recognize them and when they you know when they say stuff or comment stuff i say oh hey he's one of the you know he's one of the people from the podcast and i and i really i value that sense of community um so thank you for that uh i have to also ask because you know we've been going for a month and we want to go for another month you know if if people are so disposed to subscribe to the pillar if you
0: you like our work and you're able to pay for it and you think it's worth paying for at PillarCatholic.com, you can uh, pay for our work. I feel like we're in an NPR pledge drive right now, which I really don't want to be. Hey, guys, no, if, you, if you like our work and you think our work is worth paying for, you can become a paying subscriber at PillarCatholic.com. Right now, you don't um, accrue any benefit, any tangible benefit for paying in that. Um, everything that we do is available for free. But if you like our work and you think it's worth paying for, you can pay for it. And another thing <gasps> you can do. I just got a great idea for a game on next week's podcast. OK. Is it a, called NPR pledge drive?
1: No. It's a, sp- it's a very, very special edition of Greater or Lesser,
0: but yeah. Awesome. And another thing you can do is if you like our show and if you like our work, please uh, pass it on to other members of the Christian faithful who you think would also like our show and like our work. Yes. And tune in next week for a very special... Guys, you are not going to believe how special this is. I can't tell you the details yet, but I'm excited about it. A very special edition of Greater or Lesser. That I think you all are really going to like. Uh, It may be more amusing for me than everyone else, but okay. Yeah, sure. You're going to love it. Uh, The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media. Uh, I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner, Pillar Editor Ed Condon. Thank you for listening, and be assured of our prayers.